it is good to be here with you guys. Uh, I've really enjoyed my time here. I've said that three or four times already, so I won't say it again. You guys are cool. I really love this church. Uh, you make me feel very, very welcome. I was laughing earlier uh, about the, the message about turn off the cell phones. I was at a church in Mexico, and they had a PowerPoint slide that said, we fully expect God will speak to you today, but it will not be by cell phone. So I just thought that was a clever way to, to handle the situation. Uh, that song that we sang, that was the recorded song that we, re- that we sang, I don't know about you, but it's a good thing I had my, my jacket on because I got goosebumps singing that song. It was beautiful. Thanks for, for doing that. That was cool. Now, um, as you all know, I tell stories, and I'm going to tell three stories right now, and the sto- but the stories have a point. And the first story, I hope, will help you understand that God calls to himself. The second story, I hope, will show that God calls us to specific ministries. And the third story, I hope, will show you that, that God does provide so that we can carry out those ministries. So that's what we're going to do today, and tell stories. Uh, that's who I am, and no, no point in trying to change that. So, first story. Um, first of all, Moses was called, right? The burning bush, that was pretty clear. Uh, we just read in the pamphlet about Abram being called. That was pretty clear. Uh, Samuel, when he was a kid, he was called very clearly. Uh, Paul, in the road to Damascus, that was very clear. And uh, I had a very clear call as well. Now, when you hear the word call, sometimes God has to be very clear and direct his call, not because, well, I needed that real clear call because I was too thick in the skull to get it otherwise. I had to have a very, very clear call. And my call came, uh, it was about 1982. Uh, I had been scuba diving in the Caribbean. My, my job, I was a scuba instructor, worked in the Caribbean, uh, taught diving, and worked on research projects uh, for different universities in South America. And I also worked for Shell Oil Company, changing the, the gaskets on some of the underwater pipelines. It was a fun job. It was high adventure. I loved it. The money was okay. But spiritually, it was not where I should have been. And I was drifting away from the Lord quite severely. Uh, praise God, you know, I was able to escape from that lifestyle in time before I was totally destroyed. But I was absolutely, totally impassioned love with the ocean and diving. Well, because of a scare that involved some drug traffickers from Columbia and Jamaica and Key West where I was living, uh, the day came when I had to leave. I just had to walk away. I was offered a, a job um, being a watchdog for a big drug deal coming in from Columbia. And I was wise enough, even though I wasn't walking the Lord, to flee from that. I went to the airport, bought a one-way ticket to Chicago, and walked away. I left my car, I left my scuba equipment, I left everything. I literally walked away and never went back. And that began a, a process of searching my own life, where I was thinking, you know, what am I supposed to do? I gave up my career, what I'd been passionate about since I was a child. I didn't know what I was going to do. And a friend, a team, uh, called me and said, Steve, down in Baja, Mexico, in the middle of the Baja Desert, there's an orphanage. Go down there, hang out for a while, just keep feet back in the ground. So I went down to the orphanage, which was literally in the middle of nowhere. And because of the testimony of a Mexican pastor named Gerardo, that's what the Lord used to bring me back to walk with him. And all it was was one day, it was uh, early in the morning, it was cold. I had two jackets. Gerardo was so poor, he didn't even have a jacket. So I gave him one of my two jackets. The next day, he had given that jacket to a man poorer than himself. And I thought, this is what Christians are supposed to be like. Now, I'm a missionary kid. I grew up in the Christian environment. I'd even been to a Bible school. I was a well-educated, but I had wandered from the Lord. But it was that simple, gentle act of love where Pastor Gerardo Morales 
gave a jacket to them, poured themselves. And that's what the Lord used to just totally and radically turn me around. So I went back to the States, back to Illinois, and uh, having been transformed at that point, and began to consider missions. And a team was willing to consider me. Even though they knew of my background, somebody saw in me enough potential to take a risk. That, yeah, Steve Dresslaus has messed up, but there's something in that young man that, that's worth risking. And praise God, they, they took that risk on me. They gambled on me. But anyway, I had my application to join team. And this was back in the days before internet and online stuff. So it was this massive file that I had to fill out. I was finally done with it. I was getting ready to take it into the team Wheaton office to turn in my application. And I got a phone call from the Caribbean, from one of the best scuba resorts in the world. Phenomenal place. And they're offering the job as head dive master at that resort. And I'm thinking, missionary? Or back into diving? What am I supposed to do? And I was just torn because I knew in my heart that God was calling me a missionary. But here's the temptation to go back to where I was a professional, I was an expert. I knew the system well. I was a good diver, a good instructor. And I was really torn. I went to church that night to a, just a prayer meeting, small church prayer meeting. And when I got to the church, the prayer meeting, uh, one of the women came up. She's an older woman, probably in her 70s at the time. And I was in my mid-20s. And she came up and she gave me a piece of paper. She said, Steve, I want you to have this. And she gave me a piece of paper that says, that she cut out of a magazine. It says, if God gives you the privilege of being a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. And she wrote in, or a dive master. She did not know what a dive master was, nor did she know about the job offer I'd gotten that very day. But she felt compelled by the Lord to give me that piece of paper. I still have it. I've had this in my Bible now for 35 years. It says, if God gives you the privilege of being a missionary, don't stoop to be a king or a dive master. Now, the first part of the quote was from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. She added in, the, or the dive master, of course. But this was the, the very thing that I needed, that God had to use to club me on the head, say, Steve, no, you're, you're supposed to be a missionary. So that next morning, I went and turned in my application team, and here I am 30 years later, senior director for Global Ministries for the Americas. But God called, just like he called Abram and Moses and Paul, he has a special call for each one of us. Now, sometimes that call might not be as dramatic as mine. Maybe you're smart enough not to need a call that dramatic. But, but because of my background, those years I'd wandered from the Lord, I needed that hit in the head. Anyway, so just remember, God does call. He still calls. What is he calling you to do today, tomorrow, the rest of your lives? That, I don't know. That's something you've got to figure out with the Lord. But do remember, God does call. That's my first story. God calls. He called me. And he's calling you to something. Every one of us is called to something. Maybe it's glamorous, maybe it's not. But there is a call, and we have to listen. The second story, um, this is a little bit more complicated. But in, in Mexico, uh, you've heard about the, the drug war. The drug war is incredibly savage. The murders, the violence, it is... Everything you read in the TV news, multiply by ten. Uh, the things that we saw in the drug war were just phenomenal, bad, evil, cruel, savage. And um, one of the things that happened, because of the, the violence, women are savagely mistreated in Mexico. And there was no place for them to go, no place whatsoever for them to go for, for security. And my wife and I, through a whole series of circumstances, believed that the Lord had called us to start a secret woman shelter. So we, we did that. We, we bought a large house that had good security. And we worked with uh, a social services agency of the Mexican government. And we would sneak women into the shelter. And we'd hide them for days at a time. In one case, seven months, we hid a woman and her children 
from an abusive man. And the problem that we had was that many of the women and the children that we were hiding were the girlfriends of the drug lords. And so they had been with the drug lords for long enough to know who his contacts were, the guys above him, the guys below him. And so when the woman would escape for safety, the drug lord was afraid that because she knew his whole chain of, of criminals, that she would snitch and the chain would come down at the hands of the authorities. So they were obligated to kill their women and children. And they had no place to go, so we hid them. And it was just a, a fascinating ministry watching how the Lord uh, used uh, our shelter to, to protect the women physically, but also to offer the women spiritual knowledge, understanding. And the, the percentage of women who came to Christ through the shelter was the most successful evangelistic ministry we were ever involved in. Because we'd pick up the women from sometimes the hospital, sometimes from the police station, wherever it was that we got called to pick them up. And we'd take them to the shelter. And the first thing the women noticed in the shelter was love and acceptance and a willingness to be part of their lives. And they responded to that love. It was just a, a beautiful, beautiful shelter ministry. Anyway, one day, uh, a, a guy came to my house and with a knife, and he was trying to kill me because we had helped his wife, and somehow he found out about it. He never found the shelter, but he found out that we were the, the guys helping. So he came to my house, and he had a knife. So I slammed the, the gate shut on him. My wife called the police, but before the police got there, he'd, he'd long escaped. He went from our house to our church, and he told the church members, he said, I'm going to kill Pastor Steve, and Sunday morning when you come in, He's going to be hanging from the rafters above the pulpit, so you see him swinging dead. Well, because he's a drug addict, we took it very, very seriously. So uh, our church there in La Paz, so I put my desk, at that time I was still my desk at the church, my office at the church. We put my desk in the middle of the floor of the sanctuary. Now, when you think sanctuary, don't be thinking like what we have here. Think bare concrete floor, tin roof, and no walls. And the reason I put my desk in the middle of the floor was so that if this drug addict were to come after me, I could get up and walk away or run away. And like I told the church, I, I had my computer, my cell phone and speed dial to the police, a can of pepper spray, and my tennis shoes ROM. And one of the members in the church said, Pastor Steve, are you, are you afraid? And I said, well, I, I'm not afraid of death, but the process of getting there is, is a different story. And so I said, yes, I'm willing to get up and run away if Carlos comes after me. Anyway, our church had a policy, still does, of open door. As long as somebody was physically in the church, the doors are open to the community for whatever needs they had. So I was there in the middle of the floor working on my, my computer, preparing a sermon or whatever, and a woman walked in, and she said, is this the church that helps abused women? And I said, that, that's us. We're happy to help. What, what's your story? So she started to tell me her story of just incredible abuse and violence and torture and suffering. Just a, a real heartbreaking story. So while she's talking to me, a guy walked in the church named Isai. Now Isai is a guy who has been a drug addict for so long, his mind is forever gone. As they say in Spanish, he's, his plane will never land. I mean, he's just up in the clouds somewhere. Anyway, Isai staggered him and asked if he could preach. I go, sure, go ahead. I mean, the church is empty except for me and the woman over here. I was talking to her. So Isai, the crazy guy, gets up, and he's preaching a sermon about lesbians in hell to an empty congregation. He's just wailing away in the sermon. I'm thinking, this is strange. I'm talking to a beat-up woman, and here's an insane drug addict preaching about women in hell. While he's preaching, another, a third guy walked in. He knelt in the middle of the He was drunk, staggered in, drunk as could be, knelt in the middle of the church, crossed himself, said, I'm hungry, and he passed out unconscious on the concrete floor. 
And I'm thinking, dear God, what's going on here? I mean, this beat up woman, insane preacher man, unconscious drunk in my church. And all of a sudden, in a voice as loud and as clear as the team missionaries allowed to hear, I heard, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Luke 19.10, which we just read a few minutes ago. And that moment when the Lord said, Steve, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost, that was for me the confirmation that these were my people. These are the people that Almighty God had called me to serve. The ugly, the beat up, the abused, the victims of all this stuff. And these are the people that the Lord was using, had called me to serve. Now, why did he call me to work with those people? Because I had come out of that background in Key West, Florida, in the Caribbean, where all my friends were drug addicts and all my friends were messed up people. So even though I wasn't walking with the Lord during those years, he was redeeming my failure, preparing me for working with the messed up people. And for me, it was just a very clear moment you know, when Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. That's my second story. So who is God calling you to work with? There's somebody in your life, there's somebody that you are uniquely prepared to serve, to meet with, to evangelize, to, to help in some way. I have no idea what that will be. But God has called you, and he's called you to a specific person or individual or group of people, ministry. I don't know what that is. But that's why you have a pastor, and that's why you have elders in this church, to help guide you in those decisions. Now, some of you might want to join us in Mexico. We're going back in January. We've got a whole bunch of things I can put most of you to work in. So, if, you're, if the Lord is calling you to missions, give me a call. Uh, the pastor will have my phone number, my email address, whatever. But the Lord is calling you to something. The third story uh, is about a guy named Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes was a dirt poor subsistence farmer in the deserts of Baja. Out literally in the middle of nowhere, places never had electricity, never had running water. This is a very, very poor, destitute family. But Mercedes and his wife loved the Lord. And to get to their ranch... We had to drive for a couple hours north of the city on the pavement, then drive for I don't know how many miles, probably 10, 15 miles on these dirt trails to get to their house. And it was a thatched roof shack. They had nothing. But Mercedes, the husband, uh, even though he couldn't read, had a phenomenal memory. And we do Bible studies and, and read the Bible together, and he could memorize it and he could remember. And there was one time I was doing a Bible study, and we were doing whatever, something in the Gospels, I don't remember which chapter, and... So I started reading, but then I wanted to focus on a verse farther down. So I jumped, I skipped probably 15 verses. And it says, wait, 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 Pastor Steve, you forgot the part that says this, that, 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 and he quoted the rest of the passage. A guy who couldn't even read, but he had this memory that he just absorbed the word of God. It was beautiful to see. Anyway, Mercedes had this idea that there would be a hurricane that would come through his area sometime and destroy their little village. And he had this theory. Now remember, he can't read, he's got no education whatsoever, but he felt that if he were to build a thatched roof shack that had a round roof that was low to the ground, that it would, it would withstand a hurricane. This is native intelligence he had. Well, the hurricane came. So a group of us from our church in La Paz had seen on the satellite imagery that that hurricane had gone smack dab over their little village. So we said, we better go up there and take care of our Christian friends. So we got our vans, we filled them with food and water and tools, and we began a, a rescue mission up there to, to this village and it was a mess we had to we had to build the road at places you know with our sh picks and shovels we had to make a way for us to get our vans through we had to go through these streams it was a real adventure and we got to the village and every house except for Mercedes had been blown down his his idea of this rounded thatched roof low to the ground worked so we get to the house and the entire village was in his house I mean it's a small house 
Not many people, but it was, the whole village was there. And he and his wife were feeding the entire village. When we got there, they had one pound of flour left. That's all they had. The little they had, they were sharing with the whole village. And they're down to this one, one half kilo of, of flour, which was they're making tortillas. We showed up. Mercedes saw our vans with, loaded with food and water and clothing and all that. And he turned to his wife and said, see, God provided, just like he said he would. How can you top that? A man who can't read, but he loves the Lord, and he had enough faith in the Lord to give what he, the little he had, he shared with his friends. But he knew that God would provide. So that's my third story. God will provide. So God will call you and has called you to a, to a ministry. I don't know what it is. You might not know yet, but you will know because God has called you. He's called you to a specific people group, a specific ministry. I don't know what that is. Talk to your elders, talk to your pastor, and discover among yourselves, what is it, who is it, that you are called to minister to, that you are called to share the love of Christ with, that you are called to disciple into a relationship with Christ. And the last thing is, once he calls you, and once you know with whom you're to work, he will provide for you so that it can happen. And he will. And those are my three stories. I hope they bless you, and I hope that uh, they will encourage you uh, to pursue your ministry here in Long Island, a desperately needy place, just as much as Mexico is. Father, I want to thank you for uh, this group of believers and for uh, the way they have blessed me just by their friendliness, their openness, and their love. And I would pray that you will work a mighty, mighty miracle in their midst and cause them to uh, reach out into their community in new ways, ways guided by you for which you will provide. In Jesus' name, amen.